Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hello, and welcome to the Collider Podcast. I'm Collider Senior Editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is Managing Editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. So we start every episode with that brief introduction, and if you don't really know who we are or familiar with our history with the site, uh, you're probably wondering, who are these jagoffs? <laughs> and <laughs> especially if you found this show through YouTube, I can easily see if you found the show through YouTube, you probably think we're some schmucks that you know, replaced movie talk, which you loved and just decided to make it something else. And that's not what happened. So we, what we decided to do with this week's episode is sort of do like, this is Collider. And, and in that sense of who, who we are, the history of this particular show, its relationship to the things that you are probably familiar with, the Collider video projects that are no longer with us. And sort of saying like, okay, well, this is what we do. This is what they did. This is our history with the site. This is sort of where we're coming from. And sort of explaining all of that to sort of try to get off on, uh, I don't want to say a better foot because I don't think we've we've stumbled too much. But I can understand uh, there's some confusion uh, in terms of audience. And we wanted to, to, clear, that, to clear that up. Yeah, we uh, probably just popped up in your YouTube subscribers one day with a random podcast on. I don't know. I don't remember when we started going YouTube uh, before the pandemic, before the world ended. Um, but yeah, we just wanted to take a minute to introduce ourselves and kind of explain not only what this podcast is, but kind of how the website works, uh, which has been around for a very long time. Um, so this is kind of a get to know the Collider.com podcast and Collider.com in general um, episode uh, of the podcast. Yeah. So to be clear, this podcast, even though we just recently started on YouTube, uh, and by the way, we, we have to give a shout out to our to our producer, Thad, Thad Williams, who makes this all possible. Uh, back in back when we started this podcast in 2012, I was the producer and the quality was was not good. <laughs> As evidenced by all of our reviews. The quality was, it was quite poor. It was me stitching everything together through like audacity and just trying to like put it together with spit and duct tape. I was like, Oh, how hard can a podcast be? And it's hard. Uh, but we start our first episode was in 2012. Our first episode was the hunger games. Yes. Um, so to Which give you an idea, 11 billion years ago. Yes. So to give you an idea of how long we've been doing this particular show and the show's format has largely remained the same. Um, we, try to focus on one movie per week or one, you know, director, but we try to have like a show topic rather than bounce around to a bunch of different ideas and, and try to cram it all in there. We try to just make it one thing and, and go deep on that one issue. Uh, and then we'll finish up with like, it used to be recommendations. And then we decided like, sometimes you just don't have anything to recommend. Sometimes you just saw crap that week. So <laughs> we decided to just turn it into recently watched and be like, this is something I saw lately. And that, that was, I think more amenable to what we were going for. Um, but in terms of also our personal histories with the site. So Collider started in 2005, Steve Weintraub started it in 2005. I joined the website in 2007 Adam, you joined in what, 20, 2009? 
2010. 2010. So, yeah. And so we are, so our main job is working on the website. We write up news articles, reviews, interviews. We, we create content for collider.com and that's been our job for, <laughs> for, for decades. A very long time. <laughs> time he said, he, he said with a pallor coming over his <laughs> face and just, staring into the middle distance yeah and this podcast was born out of like us just kind of wanting to discuss well there was a, a prior podcast right that you were doing before i was doing a podcast yeah i was doing a podcast with uh russ fisher who was at slash film at the time and kurt holman who was at creative loafing at the time called running dialogue and that's what we, that's what we were doing and then we all kind of went our separate ways on that one uh, i'm still friends with those guys we just had different projects to work on and so yeah then we started up the collider podcast the collision or the collision as it was called <laughs> back then the collision yeah and matt and i would record like off hours at night like on our own time just as kind of like a fun thing to do every week uh and just talk about movies because <laughs> most of the day was spent writing up news stories and banging through reviews and, and stuff like that and in the before times, because like, so Adam lives in Tulsa, I live in Atlanta. So in Atlanta, they'll just screen movies for us. And in Tulsa, that's not the case. So usually Adam's weekend consists of like, do I have to pay money to see some garbage <laughs> yeah. film that I don't want to see just so I have to sit and discuss it on the podcast? And the answer is yes. <laughs> I paid so much money to see so many bad movies. <laughs> um, but we have done, I mean, they do, uh, they do press screenings here every now and again. Mm -hmm. Um but, uh, you know, I enjoy being informed and, I, you know, I, I felt and still do feel it was a key part of being able to do my job well at Collider is seeing new movies and be able to being able to talk about them. I mean, some stuff comes out and I'm just like, I don't need to see that. And I'm not going to see that. Uh, like, there's no reason for me to see Bloodshot. <laughs> like, just zero interest in seeing Bloodshot. It's, Matt's it's funny Bloodshot. you mentioned Bloodshot because I was watching Stars this weekend and I was like, oh, Bloodshot's on Stars. Maybe I'll yeah. watch Bloodshot finally. <laughs> it, I will say it is on. I have like a running list of like movies that are on like cable and pay cable um, that I can finally catch up with now. And that is on that list. Yeah. Um, because one of my one of my favorite pastimes is spending like a Saturday afternoon watching some garbage movie that came out a year ago that I didn't want to see enough to pay to see it in theaters, but I will happily watch on HBO. I'm looking oh, at you, Mortal Engines. Yeah, that's totally something I enjoy, especially when I'm on a plane. That's yeah. like to me, like the golden hour, like I'm stuck in a metal tube in the sky. I literally can't go anywhere. It's time to watch Alita Battle Angel. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I did see Alita Battle Angel on HBO and I liked it quite a lot. Yeah, actually, Alita, and that's the thing. Like sometimes you, I saw like the 2018 Robin Hood on a plane. I was like, this yeah. is not bad. I don't know why people trash this. This is not that bad. And well, then sometimes, it, you know, I say like, I think it's important to see new releases. And sometimes there are, you know, the huge new releases, whether it's good or bad reviews, you got to see it so we can talk about it and write about it. Sometimes there's stuff in the middle of the road. And if that doesn't necessarily align with stuff I'm personally super interested in, like Bloodshot, I'm not a huge fan of those kinds of movies. I just am going to skip it. But maybe we'll watch it on on Pickable later on. Yeah, I mean, in this podcast, you know, we usually try to talk about the biggest film out there because that's just... If you're talking about the biggest film, you'll most likely get the biggest, you know, the biggest pool of listeners. Unfortunately, like we don't, you know, there are other podcasts out there that I think do a great job diving into smaller films or forgotten films. And and I think those have a lot of value. Um, 
and it's something sort of like if, if Collider ever like built out a podcast network and there was more time to do more podcasts because that's what the world needs, <laughs> I would love to do that kind of show. And I do think this year has allowed us to dive into certain films that otherwise we would not have gotten to talk about, which I, I appreciate. Like I, the fact that we did an episode recently on Starship Troopers, I thought was was really valuable. But most of the time we're going to be like, well, Black Widow's out. Time to talk about Black Widow. And then like a big, a big Marvel podcast. And then like, and every time like a Pixar film comes out, it's like, well, we'll talk about the Pixar film. And we'll also talk about like what's happening at Pixar right now and like how they're changing. Cause it is ever changing at Pixar. It is. I mean, (laughs) you know, it's sometimes, uh, you know, they've, they've got a brand new thing. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes Pixar is back and then sometimes it's cars three. (laughs) Yes. I mean, sure, that was that year. It's like, like Coco is amazing. And then it's like, and here's Cars 30. <laughs> a movie about facing mortality and your legacy. Here you go, kids. Here, here you go, children. <laughs> Even if you were a child when the first Cars came out, you would just be like heading into college. <laughs> like, yeah. What's your legacy? <laughs> um, behind. So, yeah. Um yeah, so so that's sort of like what the podcast goal is. We're not so it's like I guess the, I guess the sort of the elephant in the room is like what happened to movie talk and these videos. And so basically, what happened was is that that's I'm not going to go deep into that because I don't want to talk out of school about what was happening on the video side because what you have to understand is like Collider was basically broken into two halves uh, around 2014. You still had everyone working on the website, but then when we joined up with Complex. There was, and Adam, you can correct me, there was AMC Movie Talk. Mm-hmm. Like, there was that entity, and that sort of became, say, became Collider Movie Talk. Yeah. Over. Yeah, they were brought into the fold a bit. Yeah. Again, we, we as, as website uh, coal miners, we were not super <laughs> duper involved in, in what, in like the larger business uh, yeah. decisions here, and that's not what we're interested in getting into here. Um, but it is, like, it, you know, for some people, you say Collider and they picture the people on Collider Movie Talk. For other people, you say Collider and they picture the website. For some people, they had no idea there was a website or no idea there was a YouTube channel. Um, and that's just kind of, you know, in the mid 2010s, like content was being consumed in two very different ways. Some people like to read stuff. Some people like to watch stuff. Um, and, you know, that's still ongoing now. People, uh, I don't know, people are into different things. And I think it, the website was more... You know, obviously, like breaking news and analysis and and reviews and stuff. And, um, you know, the YouTube channel was covering that same stuff just in different ways. Yeah, the YouTube channel was just meant to be it was always just a little more populist and a little more, you know, to be on YouTube, to be on that audience. You just kind of have to have like, first off, like a personality that's good on camera. You if you've been watching this. I, I apologize. <laughs> not they us. keep they keep us off screen for a reason. <laughs> I'm not charismatic or handsome, but I have opinions. <laughs> Put a camera on me. So you know, I I feel like like that was just it was a different kind of vibe and personality. And so you know, and then again, we're not getting into the business decisions because those are above our pay grade. Like literally I have no say, neither of us have any say in what happened to any of those video shows. They're just, they, they had, you know, there were people above us, they made those decisions and like, we just kind of kept doing our thing. And the thing that we were doing was this podcast, which costs nothing. 
it really it's us you know i they i have a microphone adam has a microphone we hook it up thad works his magic cuts it together and like we just post and then we we upload it and so it's a pretty low cost thing like we don't you don't need a studio you don't you know um you don't have to worry we don't we've never really done guests we're trying to do that more and in fact uh, to speak of guests i would highly recommend checking out last week's episode where we talked to ed solomon uh, the co-writer of the Bill and Ted franchise. Um, but we've never really tried, we've never wanted to make ourselves reliant on guests. Um, so the, it's just, it's a different kind of show. Um, and it's not to say like our show is better. Like it's not that like, like they, it, again, if you've seen the product, you can tell it's too different to compare. It would be, you know, it's like technically they're both shows with people who have opinions on movies, which is, you know, <laughs> that's about as broad as it gets, folks. Yeah. Yeah. None of this is to dredge up anything. We just consistently see comments that are who are who these were, guys? Who and are what these Jagovs? <laughs> so we're here to explain who these Jagovs are and uh, not in detail what happened in movie talk. But it, it, we I guess to be perfectly clear, we did not appear on the YouTube channel as a replacement for movie talk yes. or any of the YouTube shows. We have been doing this podcast since 2012 uh, and the YouTube channel didn't have much content on it. And it was merely just a question of like, hey, do you want to start recording video and throw it up on the YouTube channel? And we were like, sure. Yeah, that sounds fine. Because, um, you know, our our colleagues at the website, uh, Haley Fouch and Perry Nemiroff are, are also on YouTube um, with The Witching Hour, uh, which is a horror focused podcast. Um so yeah, these these programming, th these YouTube videos were not designed to be replacement programming. These were things that we were already doing that are just now on YouTube. Yeah, um, and so that's sort of like where we're coming from. And, you know, the site has sort of had to go through its own transformations over the years. I mean, like I said, I've been through 2000, I've been with Collider since 2007. Um, and like back in 2007, the site had a completely different design. It didn't, it went through a massive redesign in 2010 and then it kind of went through a moderate redesign in 2014. Um, and then that's sort of just been the site as, as it is, but in terms of like, also like what we cover and, and I think we've, we've worked really hard to strike the right balance between, um, sort of mainstream, blockbuster entertainment and more art house indie stuff. And that's always, it's always a tough balance because if you, I think if you, if you go after only one audience, I think you're missing the richness and the totality of movies um, and stuff that, that, you know, I think the, and in a weird way, the, the indie stuff, I think pushes you, I think it's, they're always in conversation, you know, a director like Christopher Nolan comes out of the indie world and, you know, and then changes the blockbuster world. It's the, you know, the, those two are con frequently in conversation or, you know, a director like, um, like David Fincher will, will direct these, you know, prestige films, but he's never, you know, and, and something like girl with a dragon tattoo was meant to be like an R rated franchise for him. It didn't work out. So the next film he made was, was gone girl, which is, you know, still expensive, but not in a, in the blockbuster realm. And so those those two are always kind of in in conversation with each other. So I think it's always important to cover both sides of of the business. Well, and a good example is uh, Collider for the past at least 
nine years, I think, has been covering the Sundance Film Festival and the Toronto International Film Festival. But Sundance, Matt and I were both there for the first screenings of Fruitvale Station, which was Ryan Coogler's uh, feature directorial debut. Um, you know, obviously now Ryan Coogler is this massive uh, in-demand director, but there was coverage of Fruitvale Station when it was happening at Sundance on Collider. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that set, sets us apart or it continues to set us apart from maybe some um, other websites. Like we do, we are covering the Marvel and the superheroes stuff, but we do also think it's important to cover, you know, emerging young talent, independent film, because those, uh, you know, ultimately are going to be the people that are the, are, are the future of filmmaking. They're going to be the ones that are calling the shots someday. Um, as we're seeing with Ryan Coogler, like I think Ryan Coogler was one of the most substantial directors that Marvel Studios ever hired to make a movie. And I think his stamp on what a Marvel movie could be kind of irrevocably changed what a Marvel movie could be going forward. Right. And that's the thing. It's important to be ahead of the curve. Like right now, like I think it's important for like if you're excited for Eternals, you should definitely check be all like be aware that Chloe's out her film Nomadland is doing very well on the festival circuit and is like an Oscar front runner. And it's a great movie. Um, and if you, you know, if you're interested in Nomadland, you should try to check out her previous film, the writer. And I think when you get a sense of what her filmmaking is and what she brings to the table, it'll make you even more excited for Eternals and be like, Oh, she has her own voice. She has her own style, uh, her own way of addressing character. And it makes it, I think it, that so it adds a richness to an upcoming blockbuster, a film that you were probably already excited about. You can now sort of be excited about it in a more specific way. It's not just I'm excited because they cut a, the studio cut a good trailer. Like you can be excited because you have a familiarity with a filmmaker. Yeah. To be clear, we also cover Comic-Con. So it's not like yeah. we're coming our nose. Uh, you know, we're, we're doing both. We're, we're trying to, uh, you know, cover the, the whole swath, but uh, we do enjoy kind of digging into, into stuff like that. Right. And that's the thing. Like, I think that sort of and I, I I mean, we have always we've always had like a pretty small staff as well. Like, so I'm pretty impressed that we've been able to cover this kind of material um, consistently to to sort of get, you know, both your big blockbuster films and your independent films, because I think, you know, and I think in, in this sort of marketplace, you have to do both. I think blockbusters can kind of carry you away, but it sort of makes you one dimensional. And then unfortunately, like if you were to only cover indies, then you're in a really precarious spot because you're trying to sort of make people care about films that don't have the marketing to already put them on people's radar. So you're, you're kind of playing from behind. And so it's sort of, how do you, how do you connect the two? And that's sort of where the, the collide part of collider comes from. Where cinephiles and fandoms collide. Indeed. So, you know, and so I feel like, you know, I feel like we've, we've done really well over the years with a pretty small staff. Collider's never really been like a huge operation. I mean, we were part of a huge operation when we were with Complex. Um, but even when we were with Complex, the site itself, like we didn't, I mean, we took on a couple new people like for social media. Um, but in terms of, I don't think we didn't really take on like a lot of new writers or anything. The real expansion there was video. That was, that was really what complex brought to the table, but we continued uh, mostly operating the way we had always operated and, and continue to evolve as things change. I mean, if you look at the, the landscape of like digital media publishing, it's, it's pretty rough out there. (laughs) And so it, it necessitates an evolution and following trends and seeing what, 
you know, trying to balance what people are looking for and what's going to drive the traffic with also stuff that is going to make your website substantial or your content like interesting or insightful, um, which we hope a lot of ours is. Yeah. Um, and even when we are covering the stuff that that is driving the most traffic, we try to add some insight into that. I mean, uh, one of our one of the things we've kind of prided ourselves on for the entire time is that, you know, when we cover a news story, if we have an opinion on it, we're going to include it in the news story because we are ultimately experts in the field. Like we do this for a living. We watch an inordinate amount of films and television shows. We are in contact with publicists. We are doing interviews. Uh, we have key insight into this industry. And so why not bring that insight to the table when covering some kind of breaking news story? And sometimes that means cutting through the bullshit and reading between the lines when, uh, uh, you know, when a certain screenwriter may be announced as, uh, you know, leaving a certain project for um, reasons unknown, kind of reading between the lines to figure out like, okay, what's the real story here? What actually happened here? Yeah, it's sort of bringing that level of analysis that's sort of, um, I feel like, you know, there's some people who's like, just report the news, you know, and it's like, the thing is, is like, that content is already out there. And it would be to our detriment to be like, well, we'll just be like Hollywood Reporter and Variety. It's like, well, no, there those are trade publications who are embedded within the industry. Like, they will always be ahead of us. They will always be serving a certain function, and their resources will always outmatch ours. So the the way we have to sort of make our voice heard is that sort of expertise and saying, if you come to Collider, like, yeah, you're going to get the news, but you're also going to get the analysis uh, and the personality that makes it fun to read, but also will be educational about what is happening. What does this story mean? Yeah. Yeah. We hope. That's the hope. <laughs> That's the hope. It doesn't happen every time. Sometimes it's like Ryan Reynolds was cast in such and such. And you're like, good for Ryan Reynolds. And you just kind of move <laughs> Don't on. Don't really have day. an opinion on this. Don't have an opinion so much. But, um, you know, you try to, um, you know, for instance, you know, if um, I'm trying to think what, what a good re like, OK, let's 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 use a recent example. So, you know, they uh, they released a new trailer for Dune. And so what we what we made sure to do is because Dune is such a big film, it wasn't just like, here is trailer. Here is who is in movie. You know, like we were like, here's, you know, that's the sandworm. OK, well, this is, you know, this is who the sandworm, you know, if you don't know any about Dune, because Dune's a fucking big book, man. Like Dune is <laughs> a lot, um, you know, but then they're also like breaking down the trailer um, and, and sort of you know, giving you a lot of bang for your buck, you know, for a film that, that people are interested, you know, that have, that has a lot of interest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're trying to contextualize and, you know, I did an entire deep dive series on how the MCU was made and, and tracked down as many sources as I could for, you know, kind of the behind the scenes stories. And, you know, there is a very specific reason why movies like Thor Ragnarok and Black Panther feel different from, movies like Thor the Dark World or even Doctor Strange. And there are behind the scenes reasons for that, um, having to do with executive changes and, you know, creative freedom and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, and that's the other thing. I think we, you know, even though we're a small, we're a small crew, we still hold ourselves to sort of rigorous journalistic ethics. 
Um, you know, I think that there is, you know, I think some people play a game where they're like, I got sources and they just kind of make things up. And as long as like one out of 10 things they say might be half true, they're like, I'm reliable. <laughs> and so like colliders never real, we've never played that game. Like when we were, when we screw up, we, we say we own it. Um, but like, we kind of make sure like what we say is, is, you know, can be reported and like you know, adheres to journalistic standards. It's not just sort of like, cause they're like, I mean, there there's, I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to name any names, but like, there's definitely good business out there to be like, I'll just name a bunch of rumors and good. And, and that, and call it a day. Cause it's content is content, but like, we're not going to play that game. You can get a ton of traffic that way and make yeah. a lot of money that way. Yeah. If you just want to like, pretend like you have like a cousin who works at Disney or something, you yeah. know, I've got the inside lane. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think, and in fact, I think it's more important to be able to be like, to read between, like you would say, like read between the lines. So for instance, I forget what, there was some sort of announcement last earlier this year, or last year that was like, so-and-so like, I think it was like Taika Waititi is directing a, a, a Star Wars movie. And like, that was the, finally the official press release and the press release makes no mention of Kathleen Kennedy whatsoever. And it's like, well, that's weird. Like usually <laughs> in the, like, that's the thing when you're following these stories, like, Oh, whenever a new star Wars director gets announced, like Kathleen Kennedy, like in the press release is like, I'm very proud to work with so-and-so and definitely won't fire them in six months. Like it's very much like, you know, it's like, I, you know, we're all buddies here. And like, so when you note her absence, that's sort of like, that tells us a story that you don't need to have. Like, I know what's happening on the inside. It's like, no, you can read what's happening on the outside and see the contours of the story. Yeah. The example I was thinking of was another star Wars one, uh, which was during the development of star Wars, the force awakens when a press release came out saying that Michael Arndt was moving on and had taken the screenplay to a really great spot. And now J.J. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan were going to take over and bring the thing to the finish line. It was very upbeat and like optimistic press release. But the story was that Michael Arndt was fired or quit, <laughs> um, which was a big deal because the production was about to start like fairly soon. I think J.J. and Lawrence Kasdan rewrote that script really quickly. Um, and I, you know. I, I still don't have confirmation on what the inside story was there, but I do know that Michael Arndt worked for a year on that screenplay and is one of the highest paid screenwriters in town. So, yeah. Well, and the other thing is, is like those, you know, the studios have a vested interest in like keeping everything positive and upbeat. You know, sure. That's just, and I know. don't begrudge them for that. They're not no, no, I know. Say, like we fired Michael Arndt. No, but like as an outsider, you're like, well, I guess everything's going right. <laughs> well, <Yeah>. it's like, no, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and I would also say, I, you know, you definitely need people that are willing to look with a critical eye because Disney isn't going to do it. Like, I mean, I know, and this, this is public knowledge at this point that the, like they were planning one of those, uh, Rensler behind the scenes books. Um, and they, they basically, Disney was like, no, we're not going to do it. <laughs> we decided we don't want people to know that this was a tumultuous production. We'd rather yeah. just take the money and say everyone is friends. Yeah. So. And again, don't begrudge them that they're. I mean, that's know their how to make money. Yeah, that's their that's business. Their yeah, they're yeah. not a journalistic uh, endeavor. No, so. uh, but I would have loved to have read that book. Yeah, I'd like to read a book for all three of the the Star Wars sequels. <laughs> uh, 
The, although we do have the art of books, which offers a little bit of insight into stuff that was scrapped. And you can see some concept art for stuff that never made the cut. So. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I mean, that's sort of, so that's sort of what we're doing at Collider. And that's sort of like the personality of the site. And um, and we're just a small part of that. I mean, everyone really works their ass off on the site. And we're really grateful for that. Um, but this is sort of to give you if you if you're like, who are these Jagoffs? And <laughs> what did do with my movie talk, hopefully we've provided a little illumination on on what exactly it is we do. Yeah, and continue to yell at us in the comments. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine too. Yeah, I, look, <laughs> as much as you hate me, my self-loathing is off the charts. So you really can't you can't top how much I dislike myself. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! No one can hate me as much as I hate myself. Exactly. Ha <laughs> ha! I win. <laughs> Victory is mine. <laughs> um. So with that, do you want to move into to recently watched? Let's do it. What do you What do you seen lately? Uh, so, you know, bit of a rough weekend, not, not, (laughs) things didn't kick off in a great way on Friday. Um, but, you know, been trying to get in the mood for spooky season. So I I noticed that you should have left was on Peacock for free, which is the new Blumhouse movie written, directed by David Kep, uh, with Kevin Bacon and Amanda Seyfried. Um, and it came out earlier this year, I think it went straight to PVOD, Mm -hmm. um, and our own. Collider's own Drew Taylor did a, a long Collider Connected interview with, with David Kep. And I was curious to see it, uh, you know, not only because I thought the premise was a little interesting, but also David Kep, I think, is just a fascinating guy. I mean, he wrote the screenplays for Jurassic Park and for the original Spider-Man, um, uh, Indiana Jones and the uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and also a version of Indiana Jones 6, 5, whatever the Five. one we're on now, that we'll never see. Um but yeah, he makes weird movies. Like, do you remember Premium Rush, which we I almost certain we have a podcast for somewhere um, with Wiley Vision? Uh, it's just like Joseph Gordon-Levitt is a bike messenger versus Michael Shannon. <laughs> like, how is that a movie? But that's a movie. Um, and so you should have left. Is uh, Kevin Bacon is a guy who is somewhat recognizable for reasons you don't find out until about halfway through the movie. Um, and he's married to Amanda Seyfried, who is a famous actress, significantly younger than he is. He has some jealousy issues. Um, and they decide to like get away and go to Wales to stay in this house, but it ends up being this like super strange house. The production design, I think is really fantastic, but it's a weird movie. Like by the time you get halfway through, like really nothing has happened, but there's still a lot of intrigue into like, what is this house and what is actually going on? Um, cause it is a psychological thriller slash horror movie. Um, I don't think it comes together at all at the end. Uh, I was kind of bummed with my choice to watch it, but I, I saw it through and finished it. I think it has some interesting ideas, but it, it was not, it was not supremely satisfying. I will say, uh, I think it kind of tips its hand a little bit, uh, early on to something. And that kind of lessens the impact of the ending of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bacon's pretty good, uh, you know, and if you're intrigued at all by the premise, it's only an hour and a half. Uh, I'm sure there are far better things you could do with your life than what you should have left. But if you are at all inclined uh, by or, or intrigued by anything about that, you can check it out on Peacock now. But I would suggest watching AP Bio instead because that show is just glorious. So that's what I spent my weekend doing. <laughs> um. 
so so my recently watched is last week my my wife and I finally finished watching episodes, which is was a Showtime sitcom uh, that is currently on Netflix, and it's and it, you can get per- fat through it pretty quickly. The first season it's only five seasons. The first and the fifth season have seven episodes. The second, third, and fourth season have nine episodes each. Um, the premise is is that these two uh, British TV writers have this hit show that's been winning all these awards, and they're brought to America to adapt it, and everything essentially goes wrong in the sense that, like, the network kind of strips away everything that they want. Like, their show was about a headmaster at a British bo- boarding school, and then they're like, you know who we should cast in your show is Matt LeBlanc. And I'll get to that in a second. And then they're like, what if instead of being a headmaster, he was like a hockey coach? And we called it Pucks. <laughs> like, it's like they hate it. Like, if they're like, their comedy is like Rye and Erudite. And now they're working for like network television. Um, but the show is really sort of about the relationship between these two writers who are a married couple and Matt LeBlanc. And Matt LeBlanc is playing himself in the sense that he's playing Matt LeBlanc, a guy who was on friends who has like, he was Joey. Uh, he's a successful actor, but he's playing like the worst possible version of himself. It's a really brave performance. Like we've seen actors sort of be like, I'm going to be unlikable, but like he is a, he is horrible in this show. Like he is <laughs> callous and, you know, he just doesn't care about other people's feelings. He's, he's selfish. Um, he's, he, but he's sort of like, he kind of represents the worst that Hollywood has to offer. And it's a really brave performance because like Matt LeBlanc is like, he's making himself an unapologetic asshole as Matt LeBlanc. Like he's like saying, this is my persona. And obviously like, you're probably like Matt LeBlanc probably isn't this bad in real life, but the fact that he's even willing to sort of be like, I would play a character named Matt LeBlanc, who is a horrible actor (laughs) is really surprising. And then like, it's just a really good show. Like Kathleen Rose Perkins plays an executive at the network and she is so funny. Um, it's just a really strong show. The The first few episodes is, it's not that they're bad. They're just, it's a bit of a hump to get over because you're like, you feel so bad for these two writers who are just getting steamrolled. But once the show really like hits its groove, it's a really good sitcom. It comes from uh, one of the creators is David Crane, who was on Friends. He was one of those showrunners on Friends. Uh, and he and I forget who the other writer is, but they basically write every episode of the show. Um, and it's it's good. I was It's a really sort of scathing Hollywood satire, but handled in a way that's consistently funny. Um, I would highly recommend episodes. How many friends cameos are on there? Only one. Only one. That's Only. That's well, <laughs> one of the jokes in one of the episodes is like they um, Pucks is struggling in the ratings, and they're like, Matt, you need to call one of your friends' co-stars to have them do a guest spot, and they all hate him. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so um, that was yeah. It's that kind of show. It's it's really it's really good um, sharp comedy that doesn't uh, that is a straight up comedy. I think sometimes on on like you know pay cable, what passes for a comedy is like a thirty minute drama. But this yeah. is this is a sitcom. <laughs> it's interesting. It's been on my radar for forever, but I don't think I I think maybe I've forgotten the premise or something. But it. Because it was always nominated at the Emmys, the Golden Globes, mm-hmm. and it like always won some. I, maybe it's the Golden Globes. It always won. I can't remember. Um, 
but it makes me curious to check it out as someone who liked Friends and who likes Matt LeBlanc. Yeah, it's it really like I I I don't want to go so far as to be it's like it's the best post Friends project because I haven't seen the comeback and people rave about the comeback is incredible. Yeah, like people rave about that, but I would say it's a very good post Friends project. Um, because he's willing to just sort of take a sledgehammer to his image. It's like, cause Joey is like, Joey is like the sweetest person on friends. Like I would say he's the only, I would go so far as to say he's the only one of member of the friend. Like Joey is the only member of the friends who's not all garbage person. He's just kind of sweet and simple and like kind of lovable. Um, and this, this Matt LeBlanc character is not that. <laughs> so it's a real, it's a real fun way to show him as being just a consistent bastard. It has been interesting to see their, their like post friends careers. Mm-hmm. Cause I do think, uh, I mean, I think the comeback is brilliant. It came out pretty early in like the mockumentary craze, at least yeah, Kudrow plays. around 05. Yeah. And Lisa Kudrow is like essentially like an actress who was famous on like a three's company show and like, hasn't really gotten to do anything since. And now she's being cast in this three camera sitcom as like the kooky aunt. And so she's always forced to be doing these kooky stuff, but she's just like, a, I don't know. It has a real empathy for her character. That's really mm-hmm. sweet. Um, but she's just always aloof. And like, she thinks this is going to be like her big thing. And like, everyone thinks she's a, you know, a joke. Um, but the new season, like they like not rebooted it, but they did like a renewed season three, like 10 years later. And that well, that season took on like Me Too and like Hollywood in a really significant way. But I think Seth Rogen was in it as this just like awful like TV producer and stuff. Um, and that was surprising because that show came from Michael Patrick King, who did Sex in the City, which is like a very different kind of show. So I would highly recommend they come back too. Um, yeah, but I'm going to check out episodes now because that's uh that's an intriguing. Premise. I think you. I think you would dig it, especially as as a as a fan of Friends. Yeah. So. And then there's the morning show, which exists. Which exists the the Emmy winning the yeah. morning show. I, listen, Billy Crudup is incredible in that show, and I actually think Jennifer Aniston is pretty good in that show. It's just a weird show. It went through like multiple showrunners and had a really hard time in season one, but I'm genuinely interested to see a second season of that. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's uh, our recently watched. Um, and uh, hopefully you now have a better understanding of what this this show is if you've <laughs> stuck with us to the end. And for those who ke- have been listening to us for eight years, sorry. So everyone else is like, I, yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> like, I know. And, and, and also, I don't want to, like, dismiss those loyal listeners because, like, we're so grateful to have you. Like, yeah. <laughs> if you've been listening to this show, like, on a consistent basis, you are a rock star and uh, we appreciate you so much. Um. But uh, and so for everyone, if you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Uh, Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you next week. Stay little chico, pit bull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide. And I'm here to tell you about my new podcast from negative to positive. Brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
The Drinkworks Home Bar by Keurig is the perfect start to set any holiday vibe. The Home Bar makes over 30 cocktails, brews, ciders, and more, all at the push of a button. From cosmopolitans to old fashions, each pod contains real ingredients and premium spirits. Insert the pod and let the Home Bar do the work. Go to drinkworks.com to order your Home Bar and see all available drinks. Drinkworks. Press play. Keurig is a registered trademark of Keurig Green Mountain, Inc., used under license. Please enjoy responsibly.